Today we're going to continue our series on what Jesus believed. And we started last week with God, and we're going to continue today with what Jesus believed about himself, about himself. And this is, uh, again, a little bit of a stretch for some people because they say, well, how could Jesus believe if Jesus is God? Then how can Jesus have faith? Does he have faith in himself? How's that all work? And we talked about it last week, how what we see in the scripture is that Jesus, in an extremely unique way that nobody else has has this claim in, in history, Jesus has two natures. He has the nature of deity, and he has the nature of humanity. Usually, in churches at least, we don't have much trouble with Jesus being God. But we do struggle with the idea that Jesus was fully human. But we see this as we read the Gospels. It's just coming out all over the place on the pages of Scripture So uh, we can say in that sense that Jesus did believe certain things, certain very specific things about God, uh, about himself, about the world around him, about where we came from, about where we're going, about politics, about religion. Uh, Jesus had a lot of things to say about this and believed some very Uh, for that culture and time, revolutionary things, even into our time, very revolutionary things. So we're going to talk about what he believed about himself today, if I can get this back on. Okay, that sound all right? No scratching, okay. About himself. Um, Now, uh, it occurs to me that in this setting, a lot of you know this already, and you're probably saying to yourself, Uh, Don't we know this? So I want to test you a little and uh, shout out some answers to me and you can play along online uh, and just fire some comments in the comments section. What did Jesus believe as far as you know, as far as your understanding about himself? Go. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I am the way, the truth and the life. Wow. And he went further. He said, no one comes to the Father except through me. Oh, boy. If you and I went around saying that, we could get in some trouble, maybe, or maybe be put in a hospital. I mean, it's quite a statement. Good. What? Yes, he believed he was human, and he did use a term... Uh, to, to describe himself, sometimes it, he meant it that way, the son of man. And we will get into that, Viano, uh, in our message. Others of you, what did Jesus believe about himself? That he has a plan? Okay, yeah. He certainly believed he had a plan. Yes, good. I am the resurrection and the life. That's a pretty strong statement about yourself. He sounds a bit like an egomaniac, Jesus. Somebody in the back, I saw a hand up in the darkness there. Yes? He's going to heaven and he's coming back. Good. 
Oh, some of you agree with that. You said, amen. It's funny, in the dark, I can see your little blue masks. It's quite cute. Others of you, what did Jesus believe about himself? Is that it? Oh, you know some more. I am the what? The bread of life. Yeah, he certainly said that he was the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. Good. Another one that starts with G. G-A. Yeah. <laughs> I am the G-A-T. Gate. I am the gate. I am the son of God. Eternal one. I'm the vine, you're the branches, good. Wow, you, are, you know a lot more than you think you know. You see, you dig around in your head, and you, you've heard this so many times. Oh, wow, before Abraham was born, I am, good. He says, I am a lot, Jesus. How about a certain spice that you like? A certain flavor, flavoring, I should say, salt. Salt and light, Lamb of God. So there's a lot in there. Uh, I don't know what happened to the size of my ears here, but they appear to be shrinking. Okay, uh, there is a lot in there that Jesus apparently believed about himself. And you uh, probably, if we went on and on, you would remember more things. But... Um, uh, rather than just calling it a morning and saying, okay, well, we know what Jesus believed about himself, let's go home, uh, I'd rather take time this morning to look at a few little snapshots of the life of Jesus, showing us what he believed about himself in particular situations. Because the reality is, all of us believe things about ourselves. Um, in counseling and psychology, they call this self-talk, and we have this kind of self-talk about ourselves, and we have these certain beliefs about ourselves, and we have beliefs about everything. Uh, and uh, today, we see those beliefs, wow, very, uh, very upfront. People are very strong about their convictions and their beliefs. Well, Jesus was as well. The question is, was he right? And uh, if you really want to know what you believe, and what you believe about yourself, what you need to do is you need to test it. So just, uh, just you get this for free this morning because there's a lot of beliefs out there. Uh, and this climate that we're in right now has just sort of uh, brought the, the foam to the surface of people's beliefs. They have beliefs about this and beliefs about that and all kinds of beliefs. When you really want to know if what you believe is true, then what you need to do is you need to put those beliefs to a test. You need to put them into a trial. You need to push those beliefs. You need to push back against those beliefs and see if those beliefs still stand. So if you believe such and such to be true, why don't you look at the opposite view of such and such? Test that belief and see if it stands up to the test. I like to do this with the Bible. I like to push the Bible, interrogate the Bible, see what 
people who don't believe the Bible say about the Bible. See what the opposing view says and see if my belief still stands to the test and see if it is in fact true or if it's just pretty flimsy. And so you want to know what you believe about yourself when you are squeezed, when you are pushed into a corner, when you are backed up against the wall, when you are uh, being criticized, when you're being attacked, when you're being accused, when you're being persecuted, when you're under pressure, you're going to see your beliefs come to the front. They'll come up just like that foam to the surface, and you'll see what's really in there. I have counseled and sat with many, many families going through the process of losing a loved one and uh, you know, sat with them and watched their loved one pass to the other side and sit with them and do their funeral and all of those things. And in those moments, you see what people believe. You see if their faith holds. You see if it's just just uh, uh, fluff or if it comes, if it's solid and if what comes to the top there is solid. When you're under pressure, when you're being squeezed. So test your beliefs. Um, push back against your beliefs. God is not afraid for you to push back against him. He doesn't mind when you challenge him, okay? There's no challenge that you can put to God or no, no uh, question that you can put to God that God's going to say, oh, no, I really... I really got to do my research on that one. The person's really throwing me for a loop, okay? God's not intimidated by any of that. And that's how you grow. You push back against what you believe. So we're going to look at Jesus in a few situations where he was being pushed, where he was being challenged, where he was being squeezed, where he was being accused and persecuted, etc. The first one of them is in John chapter 5, and I'm looking solely at the Gospels here. Uh, and in this series, we're doing a lot of, a lot of uh, uh, re references to the Gospels. When I say the Gospels, I mean Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you're not in the Gospels, you're not reading the Gospels, start to read them. Uh, because you will, you will see you've got four uh, stories, if you will, of the life of Jesus. And in many cases, the gospel record lines up. So you say, wow, I read this in Matthew, and now it shows up in Mark, and now it shows up in Luke, and now it shows up in John. Wow, that's interesting. And it's a little different in each of those four gospels. You have four different perspectives, four different witnesses to the events in question, all right? Uh, and again, if you have trouble with the gospels and accepting the gospels as being reliable, uh, again, I would refer you to... Uh, the Facebook post from last week on our page has a link to a Q&A that I did uh, for about, about two hours of content that will help you uh, if you're struggling in that area. But this, this first uh, little snapshot is John chapter 5, and this is uh, Jesus in a moment where he's going to be persecuted. That shot is actually from the chosen uh, TV series and uh, that you can stream and that I'd encourage you to watch. If you like binge watching, that's a great that's great stuff to binge watch. Um, and this is a story where Jesus heals a man who uh, couldn't walk for about four decades, um, and he was put in a place where he would uh, 
there was a, a view that if you went into this special pool in the temple area and you ran into it at a certain time, it had healing powers and, and never really worked for him apparently because he's there for a long time. And Jesus uh, rather effortlessly uh, heals this man. So when they, when they meet, they have a discussion and he says to Jesus, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And so when I'm trying to get in, someone else gets ahead of me. I always seem to miss my moment to be so-called healed. And Jesus says to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. Pow. And the man uh, was healed immediately. He picks up his mat and he walks. It's really well done in that video series. Quite moving the way that they do it. Now, the trouble with this, this event is that it takes place on the Sabbath day. Hmm. And so you have a confrontation that ensues because uh, technically, in the mind of the ultra-religious of the day, Jesus there is sinning. He is breaking one of the big ten, one of the Ten Commandments. He is working on the Sabbath. You say, well, that's so mean. Like, why would these religious leaders be so upset? Aren't they happy that he was, that the man was healed? Like, can't they give it a break? I mean, he can't, you mean he can't heal on the Sabbath? Isn't that a little bit legalistic? And what are these mean people, these mean religious people? I mean, they're just so nasty, it seems. Be careful of that view. Uh, those mean religious leaders, I'm going to play a little bit here. The, those mean religious leaders, in their view, uh, and you're going to see this as we journey forward this morning, in their view, it's not that Jesus was just a uh, strange person or a deluded person. It's that Jesus was a deceptive person. And their role, their God-given role and calling as the ultra-religious of the day was to protect the nation and protect the people from deceivers. And this is their view of Jesus. And a piece of evidence that they use in their minds is that, well, okay, he's doing magic tricks. He's doing supernatural things, apparently. But in their view, well, the devil could do supernatural things, can't he? And he's breaking the Sabbath. What if he's a deceiver? What if he's going to mislead the people? And what if God will judge us because we have not protected the people from this deceiver? I am going to switch to the other mic. Would that be okay? All right, I'm going to give it a try. You can mute me. I'll shut off because my ears have gotten smaller. Star with this microphone. All right, good. I'm going to try it this way because I don't know what happened. Like, I did get a haircut, but why this microphone is fighting with me today, I don't know. So you have to get into your head here that uh, that's the view of these people. And we often think of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law and the scribes, and we read these things in the gospel, we say, wow, these nasty people. These people felt that it was their job to protect and to serve their nation. 
before God. And in their view, this Jesus is a deceiver. Now, watch what they do and what they say to him. I'm just going to hold this up a little bit, okay? It's going to look awkward, but just so I can see. The day that it takes place is a Sabbath day, and the Jewish leaders, they say, hey, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. And the man says, well, look, this guy came to me and said, pick up your mat and walk. And I did what he said. And they said, well, who is he? And uh, they, they have, he has no idea really who Jesus is. Jesus by that time has slipped into the crowd. And uh, later on, they, they, uh, uh, there's this discussion, this confrontation, verse 16. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. So he's in a moment where he's being squeezed. And in his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, this very Sabbath day. That would have annoyed them. And I, too, am working. Now, this is a really strange, audacious, and arrogant claim in their mind. Because what he's doing is he's saying, this, this, uh, this is a Sabbath day. You're saying that God is working today. And you're saying that you're working alongside with him. As if you, what, you're him? Like, what are, you, what are you really trying to say here? And they turn around and they say, and the commentator here, John says, this is not uh, 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 said by a person. This is said by the, the, the one who is writing the story for us so that we can interpret the reaction of the religious leaders. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. They want to take his life. Again, he is a deceiver. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father. We talked about this last week. Making himself equal with God. Who do you think you are in saying these things? This is a real problem because he's making a claim here that they see as blasphemy. They, how can a man say those things? This is against our law. He's breaking the Sabbath. He's calling himself essentially God. He's equaling himself to God. We do not worship a man. We worship God. This is very scary. And so you have this reaction from them, and it's a reaction that they want to, to kill him. They want to be uh, violent uh, toward him. So I'll put the passage on the screen there. Yeah, he was making himself equal with God. I can't really take this out, can I? Okay. I mean, I got the plastic here. I've got the mic here. I've got so many little things. Is there a way to... Um That might be a little bit better. You know, they, they make us use the disc because, you know, when you sing, things come out and, and they make you use it. Anyway, all these things. Uh, so there's a passage on the screen for you. And this is a moment where Jesus is being persecuted. Let's go to another one. Uh, this, again, is a little shot from The Chosen. And this is in John chapter 8. 
You also see it in John chapter 10. And here Jesus is, is going to be attacked. He's going to be confronted and it's going to get worse. And here you have a rather long uh, discussion that Jesus is having. And he's got religious people around him, but apparently some of those religious people have actually believed. And it's quite scary because the, the writer says to the Jews who had believed, uh, Jesus enters into this kind of confrontation and argument, and Jesus doesn't have kind words for them. And the argument goes on and continues, and it's about, again, who Jesus is. And uh, Jesus, in this confrontation in, in chapter 8 of John and verse 48, Jesus answers and, uh, and says, uh, the Jews say to him in the whole argument, aren't we right in saying that you are a Samaritan and demon-possessed? Strong accusation, right? There was a rift between the Jews in Judea and the Samaritans from Samaria. It's an ancient rift that goes back to the time of the Assyrians and so on. I won't get into it. But to say that to, to a Judean would be like an insult. And you're demon-possessed. And this is what Jesus says, verse 49. I am not possessed by a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. I am not seeking glory for myself, but there is one who seeks it and he is the judge. Very truly, I tell you, whoever obeys my word will never see death. And at this, they exclaim, now we know. Now we know. Now we've got you. <laughs> you're, the, you're the devil, they say. You're demon-possessed. Abraham died, and so did the prophets. Yet you say, whoever obeys your word will never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died, and so did the prophets. And here's the question. Who do you think you are? He's under pressure. Look at the reply. If I glorify myself, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim is your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I'd be a liar like you. My word, this is a heated confrontation. But I do know him and obey his word. Your father Abraham, for that matter, rejoiced at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad and they say to him you are not yet 50 years old and you have seen abraham and jesus replies very truly i tell you before abraham that's genesis chapter 12 abraham he receives his call from god in genesis 12 before abraham was born i am at this they picked up stones to stone him but jesus hid himself slipping away from the temple grounds okay so before abraham was born i am he says that under pressure he clearly believes that he is god because before Abraham was born, you don't have any patriarchs. 
right? You, the, the, the patriarchs, the great leaders of the Hebrew people are Abraham, and then you have Isaac, and then Jacob, right? And then when you get into Exodus, who do you have? Starts with M. Moses, and you think of some of the great leaders, right? And you get to David, and but before Abraham, you don't have anybody. <laughs> and Jesus is saying, before Abraham was born, I am. Where's that I am come from? Do you know? The reaction would indicate that they knew. Where's it come from? God, when? The burning bush. When's the burning bush? What book of the Bible? Exodus. Exodus is after Genesis. Exodus is after Abraham. So Jesus is saying, I am, obvious reference to the burning bush experience, but he's making a claim to deity saying, I am was even before Abraham, and I am that I am. Oh, wow. This is you have to understand he's under pressure here. He's not cracking here at all. He is, it's very obvious that Jesus clearly believes himself to be God. And this is a direct statement. It's the same thing as him saying, I am God. In their language, it would be the same thing. And this is why they want to kill him. Because, again, in their mind, this is, this is a blasphemer. This is a deceiver. No man can be God. Not only that, he's doing supernatural things. He must be empowered by some sort of demonic force. We have to stop him. His crowd is growing. The followers are growing. And God's not going to be happy with us if we let this continue. This man, according to our law, is a blasphemer, and because of blasphemy, he needs to be cut off. He needs to be put to death, and this is their position. You see it again, John chapter 10. Uh, we have the festival of dedication there in Jerusalem, or what we call sometimes Hanukkah. It's one of the only places in the Bible where it says, it was winter. <laughs> it will be here, just to let you know. And Jesus is in the temple. He's in the temple courts walking, and they ask him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, uh, Messiah is more of a Hebrew word, uh, Mashiach, you would say, or, or Christ is a Greek word, uh, the anointed one. If you are the Messiah, or another, another way of saying it, if you are the Christ, if you are the anointed one, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. Wow. My sheep listen to my voice. Uh, yeah, there we go. My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my father's hand. 
I am and the Father are one. Again, his opponents picked up stones to stone him. Why? Again, for blasphemy, making blasphemic claims. And Jesus says, I've shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man, claim to be God. He's under pressure again. He's being attacked again. He's being confronted again. And his belief about himself remains truer than ever. He's more confident than ever. He's, he's uh, more influential and more influential. It's very obvious that he's making these claims to be God, to be their expected Messiah, and they are extremely disturbed by this, and they feel he must be stopped. And in a manner of speaking, they do stop him uh, because he's ultimately executed as per their desire. So you could say, in a manner of speaking, they did get him. Uh, you see him interrogated. You see him executed, ultimately, in the Gospels. A couple of places here at Matthew chapter 26 and this is one of the many trials of Jesus, and they've got him uh, in front of the high priest and the teachers of the law and the elders. You've got Peter watching from a distance, right, in this whole dramatic scene where he's going to deny Jesus, and they're going to uh, interrogate Jesus, and you can read it in the Gospels. It's like a Hollywood movie, the way that it's almost edited, the way that you read it. It's like, wow, it's it's so dramatic, and you have these witnesses who come forward, and they say, I, he, this fellow said, I'm able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days, and of course, which is a mis misquote of what he had actually said, and then the high priest gets up, and he says, are you not going to answer? What is this testimony that these men are bringing against you? But Jesus remained silent, and the high priest says to him, he puts him under what you call the oath of the testimony. The high priest in a trial, if he did this to you, you had to answer him. I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. And Jesus replies, you have said so. It's coming from your own lips. But I say to all of you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man, as you had mentioned, title that Jesus uses for himself, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Folks, uh, this, this gets the high priest so mad, he tears his garment he says, do we need to hear any more of this blasphemy that this man is uttering, making these claims? Now, some people get confused with, is, he, is Jesus God? Has he believed himself to be God? Does he believe himself to be the son of God? How can he be God and be God's son at the same time? So confusing. What does he pray to himself? I don't get it. I don't understand. Okay, when Jesus calls himself uh, the son of God in their context, as we saw from John chapter 5, 
What he's doing is he's making a claim uh, about his essence, about his nature, not about his relationship with God only, but about his nature as God. So you see that Jesus taught, and we said this last week, he teaches the fatherhood of God. He teaches that you can have a relationship with God and call him your father. That's in a relational sense. But in Jesus' way of speaking here, he's not only talking about relational, he's talking about his essence. It's an ontological statement. So he's saying, I and the Father are one. He's making God his own Father. He says, God works and I work. Whatever God tells me to do, I do. When he does it, I do it. When I do it, he does it. And so he's talking about his essence using the divine name, I am. He's talking about his essence. And so he's saying in an ontological sense, he is God, but also in a relational sense because Jesus is also human. Again, those two natures going right there side by side. So is he the son of God? Yes. Is he God? Yes. He's the son of God and God the son. You say, I'm so confused. Let me, let me tell it to you another way. Okay, getting into the, the whole Trinity thing here. Very simple. If you ask the scripture, what is God? God is one. God is spirit. If you ask the scripture, who is God? The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Spirit is God. You say, I don't understand. Take it up with God. Okay, that's how he presents it in the scripture. God is one what and three who's. It doesn't mean he has multiple personality disorder. It doesn't mean he has three heads. It doesn't mean he's ice, water, and steam. It doesn't mean he's a three-leaf clover. It means he's one what and three who's. Say, I don't understand. Take it up with God, okay? That's the way that he presents it in the scripture. So this is really troublesome for these religious leaders, and they say, we have to get this man executed, and Jesus, to their annoyance, takes this passage from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, and he says, from now on you will see the Son of Man, clearly referring to himself, sitting at the right hand of God, sitting at God's right hand, at the right hand of the mighty one and coming on the clouds of heaven. This is airlifted from Daniel chapter 7, which is a long chapter uh, of, an, of a dream, a dramatic dream that uh, Daniel has where he gazes into the future and sees uh, several kingdoms rise and fall and ultimately sees the kingdom of the Messiah to come. And he says in his, in his vision, in my vision, I looked and there before me was one like a son of man. In other words, look like a human, like a person coming with the clouds of heaven. And he approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. And he was given authority and glory and sovereign power. Jesus is claiming that he's this person to the annoyance of the, the Sanhedrin, the high priest, and so on. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. 
This is a this is God here. Only God is to be worshipped by the Jewish people. And these people here in this vision that Daniel has, they're worshipping this person. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And Jesus, on trial for his life, is making this claim knowing full well he is going to face an execution for making this claim. And what does Jesus do? He makes the claim anyway. Even though he's under pressure, he still doesn't falter, he doesn't fail, and he continues to do it. If you could give me the next slide, my uh, device has failed here. Okay, and then you have uh, also in Matthew chapter uh, 27 and uh, John chapter 16, or sorry, John chapter 19, same thing. You have Jesus, he's now in front of Pontius Pilate because they want to push for a public execution, public death penalty. And they get him to Pilate, the governor, and Pilate has this fascinating discussion with Jesus. And in the course of the discussion, he says, are you the king of the Jews? Are you their king? Are you their Messiah? Are you their Christ? This is what is being said about you. Why do I have to deal with this? I'm the Roman governor. This is a religious thing. I don't want to touch this hot plate. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, yes, it is as you say. Wow. And they continue having a fascinating dialogue that you can read about in John about truth. And Pilate famously says to him, what is truth? And he's amazed, really, Pilate because he sees the accusations of the Jewish religious leaders, and he sees that Jesus is not intimidated at all by their accusations. And he says, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. And they get Pilate into a corner, uh, and they, he's got Jesus in front of them. He's flogged Jesus. He wants it to end there. And they're not uh, in agreement with him. They're calling for his crucifixion. It's Passover. At the, there was a presidential pardon system back then at Passover, the biggest holiday of the year for them. Just like nowadays, we do this thing with presidential pardons and we let criminals off and so on and, you know, exonerate a criminal. Same thing 2,000 years ago. So they've got this notorious criminal Barabbas and they've got Jesus. And Pilate says, you know, I'm going to do my thing here. Who do you want? And he's hoping they're going to say, release Barabbas. And they say no, or, or they're hoping they're gonna, he's going to say release Jesus, or they're going to say release Jesus, and they say no, release to us Barabbas. And Pilate, well, what do, what do you want me to do with the king of the Jews then? And they call for his crucifixion. Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate, he doesn't want to touch it. His, his wife has this weird dream, comes to him and says, I had all this strange dream about this guy. Stay away from this guy. Pilate has a curious political history with the emperor. He's on thin ice. He's got to watch his behavior. It's a very 
dramatic political situation going on around Jesus's execution here. It's not just a religious thing, it's a political thing for Pilate. And they say to Pilate, there's one king, Caesar. You let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. There was actually a club back then called the Friends of Caesar Club. And the only way out of that club was if you had done something really bad. And if you, if, if you were kicked out of that club, you would either be exiled or executed. So they're pushing Pilate into a corner. And so Pilate reluctantly sentences Jesus to crucifixion. But look what they say. They say, we have a law, and according to that law, he must die because he claimed to be the son of God. And no, 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 no. He wasn't doing so just in a relational sense because we're all sons of God in that sense. No, no, no. He's doing it in an ontological sense, and that's blasphemy. We need to rid the earth of him. And this is their view. And in a way, they get what they want. And they shout in an ironic statement, his blood be on our heads, on our heads and on our children's heads. Very ironic statement. They don't even know what they're saying. And the people drive the nails into Jesus' body, and he says, Father, forgive them. They're, they don't even know what they're doing. But Jesus knew what he was doing. And God knew what Jesus was doing. And the whole thing is a divinely orchestrated sovereign plan for the salvation of the world, starting with the very people who were doing the executing. And they don't even know it. Isaiah says it was the Father's will to crush him. He was led like a, a lamb to the slaughter. It was the Father's will. This whole thing is part of the grand system of atonement where sin would be atoned for once and for all, for all time. So Jesus knows who he is. He, he has very clear beliefs about who he is. Uh, the, uh, his opponents who are pushing him and who are persecuting him and who are accusing him and who are interrogating him and who are testing him over and over and over again, they know what he's saying. They believe that he believes what he's saying. The question for us 2,000 years later is, do we? Do we believe that Jesus is who he says he is? You say, well, of course, we said that at the beginning of the message from our seats. Ah, but what does that mean for your life then? If Jesus is God in the flesh, that means the things that we say about him, the things that he says in the scripture to us, we take those things very, very seriously. It means that he becomes the center, the God of our lives. Because I'll, I'll tell you, as we finish up today, and guys, you can come up and get ready to play, and 
Uh, Omar, if you could turn the house lights on as we finish up here. It's been nice with them off. Hopefully, that's been a nice experience for the people. But uh, if, if Jesus is who he says he is and who he believes himself to be to you, and you agree with that, that puts you at a point of decision. Because all of us, no matter what we may say about it, all of us have something or someone that we worship. We may not use the term worship, we may not say that we do, but that person or that thing or that idea, that's the driver of our lives, that's the motivator of our lives, that is our God. We do what we do for that person or that thing. We, we get up in the morning for that thing. We, we, everything that we do is centered around that. That's your God. If Jesus is who he says he was, if he is who he believed himself to be, what he wants is to be yours. He wants to be your God. He wants you to replace the thing that you have with him. And he won't settle for less, you see. It's either all or it's nothing. He won't take it halfway. He wants the whole thing. He wants to be on the throne, on the center of your life. And he wants to take it over completely and rebuild you from the inside out and make you into a follower of his so that you start to think the way he thinks and you start to believe the things he believed and you start to live and treat people the way that he did and you start to worship as he taught that's what it means to be a follower of jesus so i wonder as as we finish today if there's anybody in the room or maybe you're online today maybe you're listening uh, later on you're watching this listening to this as a recording and you say wow you know uh <laughs> that's a real challenge but I've tried, I've tried everything else. I've put all kinds of things in there and oh, they last for a little while, but then they just leave me wanting more and they leave me empty. And I'm put in a place here of, of uh, challenge where I just want to surrender my life to Jesus and just let him have me. If that's you this morning, uh, I'm just gonna, ask for a little bit of a private moment because I don't want people looking around and oh look who's raising their hand you know I know that person and, and so just if you could just close your eyes for a moment and just so we could do it privately okay nobody looking except me and I'm just looking so that I can see you but really it's between you and God he knows the sincerity of your heart uh, I don't but he most certainly does and if you say that that that's me I want to just just surrender to Jesus. I've tried everything and I'm just miserable the way things are. That's your, you just slip your hand up into the air so that I can see it. I'm gonna pray a really simple prayer on your behalf as we finish today. Yes, thank you, you may put it down. Yes, I see your hand, thank you so much. So I'm going to pray a really, really simple prayer. Even if you didn't raise your hand, that the issue is the sincerity of your heart, okay? Jesus, I just come to you and I surrender my life to you. Just simply at this moment, 
It's not that it's not that I accept you. It's that I'm asking you to accept me. I'm asking you to just just come into my life and take over, and uh, and be the center of my life and be my God and rebuild me from the inside out. Amen. You prayed that prayer today. Come and see me at the end or message me privately. I would love to help you take the next. Uh, steps and get you growing. God bless you today. Enjoy your middle, almost middle of November. Another beautiful day today. Remember, if you have kids in uh, number 11, to pick them up. And if you've got shoe boxes to deliver, you know where to, to take them this week. God bless you. Have a great week ahead.